This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. So Mike, I'm assuming you're going to continue on some committees then it sounds like. You know, and that, that's what we're going to talk about today, actually. It's not committees, um, but about leadership and the importance of that. And so thank you so much for uh, these 10 years. I remember uh, introducing myself in June of that 2012 and um, saying something about being a Cowboys fan. And, and I got all kind of uh, comments about that, you know, in the, in the weeks to come. Uh, so, of course, I put a Cowboys chair right in my office just so y'all could enjoy that, uh, to which Bobby Saunders still, it's, it's, I actually took it home because I had to change offices, but every time Bobby Saunders would come in, he would just shake his head and just look at that Cowboys chair and just shake his head. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. As I was preparing and kind of thinking about what I would preach on, I thought, uh, as we're moving into the time of year where we're starting, actually starting new committees, appointing new deacons, looking at uh, this 10 years with Pastor Thurman and myself, you know, there are times where we just need to go back to the basics. I think if uh, COVID taught us anything, it was that we oftentimes need to just go back to the basics where we're looking uh, at scripture, we're understanding our roles and we're working toward the, the glorification of the Lord. And if anything, uh, has been illustrated in our day and time, and it is the need for leadership. We see a lot of failures in leadership in our day and time. Um, of course, we you know immediately go to politics and those kind of things. You know, we see uh, one one leader make something very courageous decision, and then some other leaders come behind and make uh, try to invalidate you know what's been said or what's been done. We saw that you know, this week, and, and then sometimes it's the other way, you know, some, there's failures in leadership, and people are trying to speak to the truth of what needs to be different, and so we look around us, and we see those kind of things all around. It's true within uh, our convention, even, as we have had a report that came out, a task force that was, that was charged with really looking at some issues within the convention uh, in, re- in relationship to how some cases of sexual abuse had been handled. And, and the result was that basically there was a failure in leadership. There were leaders who uh, were dismissive. There were leaders who didn't really step forward when they needed to step forward. And oftentimes it allowed things to happen and it brought a, a negative light. And so the reminder to us, though, is we've got to lead and we've got to lead well. And we've got to find those things and see maybe mistakes that are made in the past or learn the mistakes of the past so that we can make a difference going forward in the future. I've always said in my ministry that the way you make, the way you change and bring about change is by looking to the past, making good decisions today, and then realizing the consequences of those good choices in the years to come. And I think that's how we, we bring about change and how we look at change and the necessity of change. But the passage we're looking at today uh, is a hard one to preach in some ways because it's a, it's a, a job description of a pastor. It's also 
uh, a reminder of maybe a spiritual checklist. Also, you know, for me, when I come to these passages, it's a time for me to reflect. It's a time for me to say, okay, you know, are there areas that I need to be working on? But we know in the church that we need leaders and we need emerging leaders. We need leaders that are moving ahead, that are stepping forward. And so when we talk about leadership, leadership is God called and leaders must come from those who are authentically walking with the Lord. Uh, the business world, and you can go and study the topic of leadership, you know, and there's uh, different theories of leadership. There's trait leadership, what's called, often called the great man leadership theory, that really what we need is just certain persons who have these certain traits and these certain characteristics. And then those are the persons that we need to put in leadership because they have those traits. Others will say, well, are leaders born or are leaders made? And if they're made, then we can teach anyone to lead. And so they just need the skills. And so if they just have the right skills, then they can lead and they can be taught. Others will say, well, situations are what bring out leaders. And so if a person just knows how to react in different situations, then that person then will be a leader. And then that person will learn to adapt and, and, and learn from the decisions that are being made. So the world has a whole set of schools of leadership and leadership theory. But the passage we're going to come to today, Paul's going to give us spiritual insight on leadership. He's going to give us the biblical standards for leadership and what leadership looks like in terms of the overseer or the pastor and of the deacon as well. So what I want to do is just kind of walk through this passage because there's something for all of us to learn because none of these traits are unique just to a pastor. There's something that should be true for all of us. And so as we're maturing in our faith, these characteristics are something that we need to see in our leaders, yes, but they're also things that every disciple should be working on as well. So notice starting in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This saying is a trustworthy, is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, be self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not greedy. He must manage his own household completely and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited or incur the same condemnation as the devil. And furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, but holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first, and if they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. And deacons are to be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their households completely. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ. So what I want to do today is just kind of walk back through this passage because there are several things that, that uh, are in this passage. Paul opens with this statement, this is a trustworthy, this is trustworthy. So he does that several times actually in 1 Peter and 2 Peter where he, he gives this idea of this is a trustworthy statement. 
And so this is one of actually five different statements that he makes. And he says, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. So we notice there that if anyone aspires, that phrase. You know, there are a lot of things that we aspire to. We aspire to, uh, you know, to wanting people to acknowledge us. We aspire to wealth. We aspire to success in life. You know, we aspire to be known. We despire, aspire to people to like us. There are a lot of things that we work on and hope that people will give recognition to. And so we aspire oftentimes to those things. But here in this passage, Paul's not just speaking to anyone. He's speaking to pastors. He says he desires, if anyone aspires to be an overseer. So the idea there has the idea of um, one who has a calling on his, his or her life or his life and they must come to God and the idea to aspire is to fulfill what is true about what God has called them to. The verse has the idea that to aspire to be an overseer, overseer is a pursuit of eternal and lasting value. So we know that in ministry God calls out the called. We see that. First Peter chapter 5 is a great passage that talks about the overseer. And so this word overseer has the idea of to give oversight or to manage. And so Paul is saying here that the person who is a pastor, as he is living out this calling to which he's been called, as he aspires to move into this role of pastor, that there are certain traits, there are certain um, characteristics, there are certain spiritual disciplines that are necessary for that person to fulfill their calling. And it's necessary for those things to be growing in the life of that person. We know that leaders have to be called. They're called by God. And God calls oftentimes a person for maybe a vocation that he's doing to into a full-time Christian service. But also, it's true that persons can be called and have a ministry, sometimes even outside of the, the four walls of the church, but that they're out in the culture moving and working uh, by the Spirit of God. So it has the idea to be examined in order to oversee. Now notice the character list that are here, though. Notice the trustworthy character that's here. Paul turns his discussion toward these qualifications, or spiritual virtues, we'll call them, of the leader. And so I want you to notice that really there are kind of three aspects of this. Well, the first one is for the leader to manage himself. These statements regard character, and they're vital. He says that you are to be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So these really are areas where the, the leader is learning to manage himself. You know, I think that's vital in our day. You know, we, we oftentimes can be very spontaneous in our actions. We react way much to, to we act oftentimes to things in ways that are not spiritual. And so as we grow in spiritual maturity, we have to learn to manage that. We have to learn to discipline ourselves and discipline ourselves unto godliness, Paul will say actually in the same book of the Bible. So how do I manage, how do I discipline myself unto godliness and what areas would those include? Well, he says here, he gives a, a list, 
It says, first of all, for the pastor or the overseer. Now be aware that the word overseer is used uh, synonymously oftentimes with the term elder or with the term pastor. And so you see that someone who is, a, the word here is the word we get bishop. He's an overseer. Uh, he is an elder or he is a pastor, and which has the idea of shepherding. And so this is one aspect that Paul pulls out and he uses this word overseer and he begins to look at the things that are vital to that, above reproach. You know, where there's, there's no major event that's happened in the life of that person where uh, they would always be called into question as to their integrity. He uses the term a husband of one wife. It literally says a one-woman man. So someone who's committed himself to marriage, committed himself to that relationship and not looking or, or around, but is committed to that relationship, a one-woman man. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. Those are all things that all of us should aspire to. You know, if in leadership, you have to learn to be self-controlled. In leadership, you have to be respectable, learn how to respect other people and how to live a life where people have a level of respect for you, able to teach, because teaching in the role of a pastor is so important because you're communicating truth, communicating God's word, not given to drunkenness, you know, and, and they get there again, this idea of not being out of control. Um, and so obviously alcohol oftentimes could, uh, too much of that could bring us to where we would be out of control. Gentle, not violent, not quarrelsome. And so these areas really are areas of spiritual maturity. Leaders must learn to work on their character and the issues of discipline and self-control. Because if we're in control of ourselves and we're in control of our habits, then it's important that we make that investment. Now let me just say a word about that. A lot of times these types of things are the types of decisions someone's making when someone's not looking. And we have to invest oftentimes in the things of in personal life and in our private life so that God can build the character in us so that it reflects in our public life. You know, how are you doing in the, in, in the things of the soul, the private things of the soul? You know, how are you doing in terms of just your spiritual growth? Do you feel like you're above where you were this time last year? Are you moving? Are you growing? And as a pastor, I'm telling you, it's vital to do that. Because there are so many tasks, and someone that works in a job like mine, you know, there are just so many tasks in a day that those tasks are there from the moment that your feet hit the ground, either by a text or by a phone call, or for me, my to-do list is in my head and just all the things that are going. And so it takes discipline for me to set that aside, to not look at my phone, and to maybe look at scripture before I look at my phone, and to invest in those things of the private life, of the personal life. And leaders have to learn to do that. You won't last long in ministry if you can't manage the issues of the soul and manage the issues of those areas. And so they're vital. And I will tell you over the years, you know, there are times where I'm doing really well at that. And there are other times where I'm having to grow, you know, in that area. And so it's not something that somehow you arrive and so here you are, so you never have to have a quiet time again, you never have to have prayer time again, you never have to uh, study for a sermon again because you know all, the, all those things. 
And I think as some of the pastors in the room would say, when you get, if you ever decide you're at that point, you're at a very dangerous place because that is not the work of a pastor. The work of a pastor is always aspiring to be growing in those areas and growing into things. And so it's important to learn to manage ourselves, learn to manage those things of the heart because what's done in the secret place builds trust and authority for our public life. Now what's fascinating is that Paul then moves into the area of managing the home. Now, I think this is fascinating because he says he must manage his home well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? Someone has said that the true test of faith is in the home. Let me repeat that. The true test of faith is in the home. You know, I think that is important. You know, how you lead at home reflects the authenticity of your leadership. If you manipulate at home, then you'll manipulate in your leadership. If you lie at home, then you'll do this in your leadership. If you bully at home, he literally uses that word at one point, uh, you'll do this in your leadership. If you intimidate in the home, then you will do this in your leadership. Because leadership of the family is the, is the greatest testing and proving ground for leaders. And Paul says that one of the best ways you can learn to lead is by leading your home, leading your family, leading your wife, and leading your children to the point where people can see, hey, he knows how to treat and, re and respect and love his wife. He knows how to challenge his children spiritually and to see them grow and to walk with them you know, through that process. And I'm going to tell you, as a parent, that is a challenge. You know, it's easy now looking back, you know, over those years. But there were so many days when we were coming along, I was just like, God, give me the wisdom how to do this. Give me the wisdom what to say. Give me the wisdom so that I know how to react, how not to react, and to be able to do this in a way that's important. And parents in the room know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes you teach by discipline, but sometimes you teach by grace as well. Sometimes you teach by setting the rules, but sometimes you can teach also by saying, I'm not going to put a rule on you that I don't apply to myself. I'm not going to ask you to obey if I'm not willing to obey. I'm not willing to hold myself to this level that I'm not going to ask you to hold yourself to that level. And I think that's important things in parenting and those lessons that we learn along the way. But those are all the ways where God is using the, the things of everyday life to develop us and to help us be leaders. You learn how to lead and how to serve by doing that to your wife. You learn how to lead and how to serve by doing that to your children. You learn how to build wealth and steward your finances. And all of those things are preparing you for leadership. So we have to manage ourselves. He's preparing us in the managing of our homes, but he also is preparing us for leadership and managing maturity. Now notice this statement. He says he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now that's an amazing statement. So what are you saying is for pastors that you have to be very careful not to put someone into a position as a pastor or of a leadership 
because they, you're actually could be putting them in danger. And I've seen it over the years. You have people who come along and they can, they can speak, they have charisma, they, uh, you know how to, they know how to work with people, and it just seems that they are a natural born leader. And sometimes we don't wait and look for those areas of maturity, we just put them into places. And I'm going to tell you, more often than not, oftentimes down the road, there's a break. There's a, a something of integrity because that person became puffed up. It became prideful. And somehow it became about them rather than about Christ. Somehow it was about people serving them rather than people serving Christ. And all of a sudden, that person is taken out of ministry just as... Uh, you remember this phrase, the condemnation of the devil, has the idea that just as Satan became prideful and sought to become like the Most High, that this person could come in and think that everyone is following and in some ways maybe even worshiping them and that person has then fallen and they've been brought under the same condemnation as the devil. And it's hard to think that a leader could be deceived. Because they took too much value in themselves. They became deceived because they thought it was about their personal achievements. They became deceived because they saw the, the opportunities to build uh, a kingdom. And far too often leaders will find themselves ascending the ladder. But because there's not been the time for maturity, oftentimes it results in a fall. And so, as leaders, we don't get to sidestep maturity. Spiritual maturity is something that is vital in our lives. And I, I see far too often where persons will come in, they accept the Lord, and they're, you know, they're excited about things, and so I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm serving all these things. And so now, hey, let's put this person in leadership. Hey, let's put this person, you know, to do that. But they've not really taken the time to mature. They've not taken the time to really have that depth of maturity. And so when leadership opportunities come and things get difficult and the testing of their faith comes or they make decisions based more on themselves than on the glory of Christ. And oftentimes we have to be careful in doing that. Now what does that mean for me though? That means I have to be patient. Because sometimes we look at leadership and say, well, I could do that. Sometimes we look at those positions and say, well, you know, I, I've been around a long time. I, I wish somebody would recognize me. And, you know, there are oftentimes issues of leadership where we have to give God the, the ability to take the time to know when it's right to step into that role. And just because there's something in front of us doesn't necessarily mean that I have to walk through that door unless I know God's calling me to walk through that door. Unless I know God's allowing those things in my life to come about because he's taking me to the next level. He's calling me into a ministry. He's calling me into that role of an overseer. And I think as pastors, you know, we have that opportunity to call out the called. You know, we have that opportunity to invest in other people and to watch the Spirit of God work in their lives. And we want to do that, I think, over these next 10 years more than ever, you know, to develop leaders, to be leaders. But that cannot happen unless 
we're willing to do the work of spiritual maturity and growth because we'll go to a point and we're like, okay, I got the lingo down. I've got, you know, the things I need to say, you know, and I'm right in this level, but we stop challenging ourselves. We stop going to the next level. We stop learning how to lead and how to serve other people. And so you have to be careful because you become conceited. All right, I'm going to give you all a confession. All right. So, you know, oftentimes we talk about servant leadership and the importance of servant leadership. And so, you know, there are times, though, where, you know, the best way to know that you're a servant leader is when someone, you know, does something where they're expecting you to be a servant. All right. So one of those roles for me is being a bus driver. I love driving the bus. We all know I drive the bus for the seniors. I drive the bus for the, the kids. I drive the bus for that. But there's something that comes along with bus driver that says luggage handler as well. <laughs> um, am I right, Mike? I mean, you're expected to, to handle the luggage. That's just all there is to it. And there are times where I'm like, well, is nobody else going to help with the, with the luggage, you know? And I'm under there and I'm putting luggage, you know, I'm just, you know. And then the Holy Spirit's like, Okay, wait a minute. What are you doing? And it's a reminder that I'm here to serve. And so if I can't handle the luggage and do it with joy, if I can't handle the luggage and say this is my opportunity to serve, then maybe there's something there that I need to work on. And, uh, and God just you know, will take those little things every once in a while in your life and he just reminds you, this is your opportunity to humble yourself and to serve and to give yourself to others. And leaders, I think, have to have that check in their spirit. That's one of them for me. There are multiple others, let me tell you, that are there. But that is one of, you know, there are just areas in my life where, where I can just allow that to happen. I can allow that um, compromise uh, in my own life where I begin to let pride slip in or I begin to, to let self want to take control. And it's a reminder that whatever that is, that we have to be willing to discipline ourselves to say, this is not about me, this is about the Lord. This is not about anything else because what I'm called to at this moment is to serve and this is what God's called me to do at this moment. So this is my moment to glorify Christ. And folks, sometimes that's humbling might be, you know, Jesus has his disciples ready. But he walks into the upper room and they're arguing about who is the greatest. And they're, re they're about ready to take on the, the, the task of, of starting the church. They're about ready to take on the task of, of being this catalyst for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. But yet they can't get past who's, gonna, who's the greatest of everyone in this room. Well, it's obvious who the greatest is. But the greatest takes off his outer robe. He wraps a towel around his waist and he grabs the water basin and the towel and he washes the disciples' feet. One by one by one. And Peter's like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, and he pushes back against that. But do you realize that just moments before Judas' betrayal, Jesus is washing his feet? That's humility. 
And as a leader, he knew that there was one last lesson that they needed to be taught before he went to the cross. That one of prayer he's going to teach in the garden, but one of humility that he's teaching there in the upper room as well. And so they, these are the kind of things we're talking about in managing maturity. Humility regarding one's spiritual growth must be in place. And one begins to grow and sees how things could be done differently, often spiritual pride comes into play. Humility of one's progress is vital. And spiritual pride is dangerous. And yet Paul says in this passage, it's deadly. What are we owed? Nothing. But God gives us grace. So the last thing I want you to see here is the trustworthy application because he switches the discussion from overseers now to deacons. And so it's as if he's saying, okay, let me give you some more application of what this looks for in, time, in terms of leadership. And so he moves from talking about the leadership of the pastor to now talking about the leadership of deacons in, and they're many of the same areas. So you notice here he, he gives this some, some of these same lists that he has given. Some of the things are different. Some of them are the same. But notice there in verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested. So he first talks about the power of example. You know, that the mystery of the faith, that we hold the mystery of the faith. And he does it in the, after he gives the list of the same type of things, of being worthy of respect, not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And so he's talking again about these characteristics that are in the life of leaders. But then he makes this comment there, um, but they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now what do you think he's saying there? I think what he's saying... In my interpretation is that we know that the gospel is often referred to as the mystery. It was the mystery that God was keeping, you know, and he revealed ultimately in Christ and the, this way of faith. But he says that they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It means that they are truly believers. They're truly authentic. They're truly genuine in their faith. And as leaders, the power of example is so important. It's one thing for me to want to see the gospel lived out in Jacob's life. But as a leader, before I want it lived out in his life, it's got to be lived out in my life. And I have to hold that mystery that the gospel's genuine. It's authentic. That it's something that has gotten to the very heart of who I am. And when I stand and say, this is the power of Christ. This is the power of belief that God can transform your life. That I do that with a clear conscience knowing that I've allowed God to do the transformation in me. And knowing that he'll do the transformation in others as well. We, we need to remember that God is in the transforming business and he transforms us as he grows us into maturity. But also once you see the power of test, notice there in verse 10, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. So he says that there's a, there are tests in life that prepare us for ministry and leadership is oftentimes proven in the difficult times. I mean, you think about that. Moses He's the natural leader. He's God's chosen leader. 
But God puts him into the home of Pharaoh and he has intellectual knowledge, he has charisma, he has all of those things, but yet he needs to learn humility. He needs to learn about faith. He needs to learn about from life experiences. So God prepares him on the backside of the desert for 40 years and then he says, now it's time to lead. Think about David. David has spirituality. He's been in the shepherd field. He's been uh, learning scripture and he's writing psalms. And he has a great spiritual life, but he needed to learn courage. And so he did that shepherding the sheep. He needed to know how to lead men. And so he did that as a, as a, as a leader in war. He needed to learn how to honor leaders. And so he learned that by even when the leader was in pursuit of him to take his life, he still was honoring the leader. And so God was preparing him to be the king that would be the standard for all of those kings that would follow. And as many of you are studying in kings right now, you know, David is the standard through which those kings all are compared. And even Solomon. We've been studying about Solomon. And we wonder about Solomon and his leadership. But Solomon, while he was doing all of these wonderful things... He's building the kingdom, he's building the temple, he's acquiring wealth. But the passage that we saw today in 1 Kings chapter 12, where the northern tribes were saying, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. And the advice that his son is given is, serve them. Tell them that you understand. Tell them that you want to serve them. And when his son refuses to do that, he has a rebellion on his hands because Solomon was using his power and his position and lording it over these people. And he wasn't serving them. And so he learned, well, his son learned a very hard lesson when he said he was going to continue it and he was going to make it worse. And then all of a sudden there's a rebellion that took place and the northern tribes broke away but yet there was a leadership lesson that was there that needed to be learned and that needed to be learned in the private place. Now what's also interesting is not just the power of that, but the power of team ministry. Because he goes on again and talks about the wives who are worthy of respect. No slander, but self-controlled. He talks about the deacon being the one woman man, again the husband of one wife. Uh, learning to parent, learning to manage his household again and steward. And so deacons are those who have served well, but they've done it in the context of other people. They've served with their family. They've served with their kids. They've served uh, in working with other people. And so that role then is developed as that person then is moving forward in leadership. They're moving forward and learning to do all of those areas. Leadership is something that you do in the quiet place, yes. It's something that you do in the experiences of life, yes. But leadership is also a calling. To know that God is calling you to step into this because he's prepared you in all of these other realms. And he's now calling you to take those lessons and to use them well to build his body, to lead the church, to give leadership to the church. And so, none of us get a pass, do we? Because there's some area that God wants you to lead in. There's some area that God wants you 
to serve in, there's some area to which you know that's a ministry that God's calling me to, but he's been using those things in your life to be able to take you to that. But as you move toward that, remember, you can't take things for granted. Spiritual disciplines are for today, they're for tomorrow, and they're for all the years to come. Spiritual integrity is developed, but for today, it's for tomorrow, and it's for all the years to come. So how do we apply a passage like this? I mean, how do we take this as a church? You know, I think about the last 10 years, you know, and the, the things that God has done in the life of our church. You know, we did a major renovation campaign, $3.8 million renovation campaign. And we've got to continue, you know, in those areas that we've built these, these remodeled things to be able to reach families. And so those, those things must continue in the years to come. We uh, have learned a lot with the pandemic and, and had leadership challenges as a result of that as a church. And so we've got to continue to learn from that. We've got to continue to show humility, continue to, to lead forward into those areas. But what I think one of the major areas in the life of our church is going to be leadership development. Is you saying, hey, I'll, I'll give an hour or two a week to be a part of a mentoring group. I'll, I'll take some time to be an intentional in an intentional discipleship group and allow uh, other people to be able to pour into me. Hey, God's developed me through a lot of life experiences. I'll take those opportunities and I'll give them to someone else. You know, there are so many areas that we can serve in hospitality, shepherding, serving families of children and youth, teaching, discipling. But one of the areas I think that really God is challenging us in, and we've been, Wilson and I have had a lot of discussions about this, is really in the area of parenting and really helping and working and coming alongside parents and helping you in your role as a parent and in ways that we as pastors can help disciple and pour into you. Because when we're doing that, according to this passage, we're developing leaders. And you're learning and growing in your leadership ability. I hope that you're allowing God to work in the areas of the soul. Areas of the heart. Word engagement. Engaging in God's word. Prayer engagement. Engaging in prayer discipleship engagement, being a disciple and growing in your faith and learning how to lead others as you're a disciple, learning how to disciple other people. You know, all of those are things that God is going to move and work in, I think, in the life of our church in the years to come. And there are areas where I think it's necessary for us to invest. We gather each week to worship. But folks, we are the church gathered today, but in a little while we'll be the church scattered. And the work of the church continues in that process. And he continues in you. And he continues to work in me. Paul says it's a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. As a church, let's commit ourselves to the noble work. And allow God to take what he's doing in us and to grow it, to develop it, to mature it, 
so that we can apply it in our lives and we can have an impact on this community and we can continue to see God raise up leaders. We continue to see God raise up families and see God uh, have an impact in the gospel in this community. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just these reminders today. Um, Lord, the last couple of weeks you've reminded me of a lot of things and so I'm grateful for that. But Lord, I'm also aware that there could be some in this room that don't know you. They don't know the hope of the gospel. They don't know the necessity of following you. And so, Lord, I just pray today that they would see your love for them and understand that Christ, that your son, that you went to the cross to pay the penalty for their sin and to purchase a place in heaven for them. And you give them the courage today to believe and to trust. Lord, I pray that today that as believers we would hear these words and we would not just see these as lists for other people, but we would see these as areas in which you would desire for us to grow, areas to mature. And God, that we would be reminded that you use all of those things in our life to develop us and to call us and to work through uh, these areas as we then aspire toward leadership upon your calling and upon your timing. And so, God, we do pray that you would raise up leaders and that, God, you would do your work in us to challenge us to the work of spiritual maturity. Lord, um, we're going to hit an anniversary before too long, 200 years in Suffolk in just a matter of five years. This church will have been ministering in this community for 200 years. And so, Lord, we have a work to do. There are people to be reached. There are families to be reached. There's an impact in our community where people need to know the hope of you. And God, I pray that you would take us into this community with acts of kindness, acts of the gospel, opportunities to share the gospel in this community. And God, that we would go with the intention that you are working and that we are doing it with the integrity of the gospel being lived out in our lives. Father, we're grateful for opportunities to serve. I thank you for the 10 years that Pastor Thurman's had here, for the years that you brought us here, for the years that you brought Wilson here. And Lord, we're grateful for that in our families. And so, Lord, but we have to join arms together to do your work. This is about your glory. This is about our pursuit of you and challenging uh, th those around us to be leading alongside of us with the gospel in this community. So, Lord, work in me, work in us to develop us uh, in greater ways that you would develop your character in us these days. Lord, we love you. Bless this prayer in the name of Jesus. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.